course of faith, rules for directing believers how to walk in fellowship according to the order of the gospel. Uh, the word picture John Owen includes in this long title is to see an Eshel in Numbers 13. Remember, Israel had just been delivered from Egyptian slavery after being there for 400 years. You're at the cusp of the promised land, and fires are sent into the land and give Israel a preliminary report. And, and while they're there, the, the spies come to the valley of Eshel. In Eshel, they cut down a branch of a cluster of, of succulent, juicy, fresh grains to bring back to the Israelites who are waiting for a, a report just outside the land. So the, the spies bring these clusters of grapes back in order to prove. God's people, just how wonderful the promised land is. So the spies return, and this is what they say to the Israelites in Numbers 13 27. We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this. The idea John Owen is trying to get at here is that when a local church puts into practice the the biblical principles set forth in this book, the, the local church gets a little bit of a little taste of, of heaven. The church can taste the heavenly grace of the promised land when it follows the principles of fellowship with one another laid out in the scripture. Scripture makes it clear that the closest to heaven we will ever get on earth is in a local church committed to God's word about fellowship. The church is committed to God's word about our relationships with each other as a local body. And so my open prayer is that the duties of Christian fellowship will help us taste the grace of Canaan. And so the, this book is divided into two main sections. The first section is comprised of seven rules dealing with how a congregation relates to their pastors and elders. And John Owen titles section one this way, rules for walking in fellowship with respect to the pastor of the congregation, explanation of the rules, and motives for keeping them. Um, Fellowship and all 22 rules contained therein are predicated 
obligations of the leaders under the leadership of their officers so that they might participate in the ordinance of Jesus Christ is a divine institution. That means the Christians gather together to worship Christ in a regular manner to make them a local church, and the local church is a biblically ordained institution. The idea of the local church is not a, a group of individuals coming up with an idea. The idea of the local church is God's idea in his plan. Number two, the second principle. Every faithful believer is bound to join himself to some such single congregation that displays the notes and marks of a true church. What does that mean? Every believer is required to join a local church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, of each believer's voluntary consent and submission to the ordinance of Christ in that church is required before he may join with it in that fellowship. And number four, um, kind of a little murky, I'm just kind of guessing what we mean by this. It is convenient for all believers living in one place to join themselves into one congregation unless in sheer numbers more congregations are required. Otherwise, there is a danger of strife and the United of I think the idea is born of the village, and you've got to pay the nomination, pay the ministry, possibly the ministry. So instead of moving five churches in the city of uh, 100 feet or 200 feet, or 1,000 feet, uh, make just one church in this church large and be able to cut So these are the four principles of what the 22 rules of Christian fellowship are based on. The 22 rules assume, to summarize, is they assume you join and are committed to a local church. So this morning I'm going to go over the first three rules, the first main section about how the church relates to her pastors and elders in the months and years to come we're going intermittently and eventually consider each of the 22 rules. And this is how I'm going to Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. 
this main clause in verse 24. We are to meet together for a particular purpose. And that purpose is to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Going to church means more than just attending. Dependence is set in the context here of, the, of, of encouraging each other toward greater godliness. Often believers see dependence as just one more thing to check off on their Christian to do list. And think to themselves, okay, I gotta get this thing over with, but can get back to my real life. And when we have this kind of mindset with regard to attendance at church, what do we do? We go to church, we sit in the back, we listen to the sermon half-heartedly, and then you slip out the back as soon as the service is done without speaking to anybody, and then you check off your mental box for the week for dependence. I've done that. But this is what these two verses are, are getting. This is not what these two verses are getting at. The church attendance, listen to me, is set in a context of considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Church attendance is set in the context of encouraging one another. According to the writer of Hebrews, one of the reasons you attend church is that it's to think about, it's to carefully plan, it's to thoughtfully consider, it's to powerfully envision how you can help others grow in godliness. But you can't do that if you don't know anyone at church. And you're never going to really know people at your church according to Hebrews, encouraging one another, stimulating one another, loving good deeds ought to be the, the very top, the top of your priority list, and that starts with regularly attending the public gatherings of the church. Verses 24 and 25 are incredibly important on our way to heaven. The failure to make church attendance or the purpose of encouraging other believers and receiving encouragement of this priority in your life is not a small thing. Look at what follows 24 and 25 of verse 26 and 31. For if we go on sinning willfully as we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire, which will not consume the adversary, which will consume the adversary. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the mouth of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he would deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and his Guarded as a file, the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed, and consulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hand of the living God. We're not sure why the Christians and the writer of Hebrews was addressing or skipping church on a physical basis. Whatever the reason, following warning about apostasy implies that people deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of their local churches are in danger of abandoning the Lord permanently. The bad habit of, of skipping church on a regular basis can lead to a, a permanent forsaking of your relationship to Christ. Skipping church is something to play around with, folks. Nothing to take chances on. Skipping church is nothing to nothing to, 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 to 
Nothing you do is worth losing your soul over. Look at verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, That is the time I will repay it again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Can believe believers can never lose their salvation, of course, but there would appear to be instances where someone being drawn to the Lord may be in a false sense of uh, assurance. They, 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 they skip church and they, they, they repeat themselves and they continue to do that, and sooner or later they lose the opportunity to believe by prioritizing something more than church attendance. So when you notice fellow believers who initially miss church on Sunday, who don't take it very seriously, uh, there is a sense, a real sense here, that their souls are in danger. And, and that's something that you don't want to ignore as a brother and sister in Christ. That that's a conversation you want to have. It's the text that you want to go to. to remind them this is something clear wrong. Next, rule one says that believers are to attend regularly, and, and that's it. It continues to say in rule one, they are to submit to the preaching of order and admission of the ordinance and commit to the pastor, pastor by virtue of his ministerial office and the introduces to doing obedience to the Lord. He considered regular attendance in the context of the necessity of encouragement, and now we will examine the second part of rule one, which is when we attend church, we are there ultimately to submit to the preaching of the word through the ministry of your pastors and elders. According to Ephesians 4, God gives the church gifts, and these gifts include pastors and teachers of four according to verse 12, the equipment of the saints for the work of service to the building of the body of Christ. I attend church in order to encourage the saints and be encouraged by the saints. I'm considering how I can do that. All the energies of my mind are concentrated toward that end. But now, Ephesians 4 says, the preaching of the word by my pastor or my elders equips me to encourage others. If I'm going to encourage someone with the truth, I need to be taught the truth. What a Hebrew, what a uh, holy, holy, 13 verse 7. Uh, the writer there uh, says this in Hebrew. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. In your local church, it's your leaders who speak the word of God to you. The preached word happens by means of pastors and elders and other teachers. And John Owen says that there is a, a twofold power for the preaching of the word by these church officers. And that, that twofold power is ability and authority. Ability and authority. The qualification of an elder is ability to teach. The elders and pastors have been given the gift of preaching and teaching. Some of them have gone to seminary and learn how to divide the word clearly and accurately. They can preach and teach the theology of church history. So when your pastor or elders preach the word, there is a kind of power that you don't have when you're just reading your Bibles at home. There is a kind of accuracy and clarity because of the giftedness, because of the, the training, because of the time given to a full-time pastor to study all week and prepare sermons for you that you just don't have reading the Bible at home when you get home from work. The power of the preached word at your local church comes from the ability of your elders and your pastors, and that's all it says. It comes from the authority of your pastor. Verse 
Marshall's qualification for an elder in First Timothy that his life is above reproach, that there is no habitual, unrepentant sin that everyone notices for a, a length of time, or there is no particular scandalous sin that brings shame to the glory of Christ. Now, I want to write this. Pastor's life should be vocal, determining what he lives out of those Though Noah's men built the ark and they themselves were drowned. The man teaches uprightly, walks scripturally, the world will fall down on the night of his life if he builds the day of his doctrine. In order to fulfill the call of an, an exemplary life, a, a pastor, an elder has to have the life of Christ within him. He needs to be a genuine, spiritual, experiential understanding of spiritual life and matter in order for me. Genuinely communicate and counsel that to you. Sermons cannot be theoretical, they must be lived out. Pastors and elderly are given to the church as examples of godliness to be followed. John Owen says again, their teacher's life is a means of grace of God, provided as a relief, for them another temptation, and an encouragement to holiness, zeal, meekness, and self denial. Observe the way pastors and elders treat their wives and raise their children. Ask how they fight off sexual temptation. Find out about their quiet time. How do they deal with conflict with their neighbors and members of the church? Observe the way they participate in all the ministries of the church and see how they involve their families. Next, there is an aspect where my job is to participate in all the ministries of the church. But even more than that, I go to Friday nights, I go to Sunday. I fully have all my children participate in the children's ministry, not because I have to, not because I'm paying you, but ultimately because I believe this is best for my spiritual life, for my soul, for my personal growth, and because I want to model an example of church participation. Turn with me to Elders and leaders are required to do and what they are required to avoid. First Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Peter says, For yet as glorying over those allotted to you, be an example to flock. Here Peter says, Elders are not a function and oppressor, but as examples. The word loading it over is one word in the Greek, but the word Jesus is Matthew Mark to refer to Gentiles who use their authority to rule over others and to advance their own ambition. The Greek word for loading it over is atakuriantes. Kuriantes is the verbal participle of the, the noun kurios, Lord. Ata is a prefix, strengthens the of really being the Lord. Don't really be this overbearing Lord over 
governed by the use of threats or emotional intimidation or the flaunting of power. They should not govern by the use of political force within the church, but rather by power of example, whatever possible. Yet, verse 5 says, You come from it, and likewise be subject, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility for one another. So, this command for younger men, verse 5, to be subject to your elders, applies that elders and pastors nonetheless have genuine government authority in the church, and at a time they can give direction.
almost like one who sends forth his command His word runs is very swift. The one who gives the soul like wool scatters the cross like ashes. Cast forth his idols. Forth his word, that causes the wind to blow the flowers. God, who is the one who finally grants success of the gospel, Paul asks that the church pray for divine intervention so that the gospel will run, will spread rapidly, that it will have unimpeded progress. Because God is the one who determines. Whether the gospel bears fruit or not, in the same way that, that God sovereignly spreads spread snow on the land and sends winter weather, so He grants success in the reception of God's word. The light of God's sovereignty and salvation, Paul asks here in verse one, the word runs like an Olympic runner in, in the hundred meter. He prays, secondly, that not only will it spread rapidly, he prays the word he asks. He asked the church to pray that the word was preached, was spread, that it would be glorified. It would be glorified. Pray, brothers and sisters, the word preached, that it would be received, not with indifference, or boredom, or, or rejection, or, 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 or pray that it would be received with faith, obedience. Pray that the word would Gender worship and praise. Pray that the word of God preached would be the joy and peace. Pray that the word of God proclaimed would, would rescue and strengthen marriages. Pray that the children would our children would hear the word of the gospel and repent and turn to Christ. Pray for our nation, for our leaders, that they would turn to Christ, that they would lead to some level of integrity. Pray that the word of God exposes would help us die to ourselves daily and live for Christ and others. That's the first one exactly. Pray that the word of the Lord will spread, will run, run like a marathon runner to the end of the earth. Pray that it will be glorified. Then he has this. Thus, as it is also refused. Notice how the Thessalonians received the word of God in this first Thessalonians. Go to the first Thessalonians. How they receive God's word. Six, chapter one, verse six. Verse five. Our gospel did not come to you with the word only. Just something you heard and threw your brain out the other year, but it came to you with power and the Holy Spirit. And with full assurance, the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, there was persecution, there was hardship, there was suffering, but the word came and received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. How did it respond to the word of the Lord? This is a The word of the Lord has sounded. Not only in Macedonia and Judea, but also in every 
gospel with faith. Verse 9. For they themselves report about us what, what report about us, what kind of entrance we have in you. How you turn to God from idols to serve a, a living and true God. They, when they receive the, the word of the gospel, they, they turn from their idols to God. They turn to serve Him. That's the kind of reception that we need to pray for the preaching ministry of your local church. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God that thou seize When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God. It's also a word. Thank you. 